0: But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. This week, posted at packtribune.com, was this interesting little tidbit of information. It says, and I quote Troops training and fighting the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan are firing more than one billion bullets a year. Contributing to ammunition shortages, hitting police departments nationwide and preventing some officers from training with the weapons they carry on patrol. A review of dozens of police and sheriff's departments found many are struggling with delays of as long as a year for handgun and rifle ammunition. And the shortages are resulting in prices as much as double what departments were paying a year ago. There's few things that are more troubling and more difficult for a nation or for a community than to enter into a battle ill-equipped or unprepared. No one wants to see a soldier. No one wants to see a police officer fighting a war unarmed or unprepared. And Paul was no different. We are called to battle a foe that we cannot possibly defeat without the spiritual armor of God. Our enemy is Satan and his demons. Our enemy is personal and deceitful and invisible and powerful and persistent and cunning and wicked. We fight with truth. Remember, that's our belt. We fight with holiness and righteousness. Remember, that's our breastplate. We fight with the gospel. Those are our shoes. And of course, Jesus is our peace. And through whom we have peace we fight with faith or confidence in the lordship of Jesus Christ that's our shield with confidence we know we can stand whatever spiritual assault the enemy might bring against us with the assurance of salvation in the Lord Jesus that's our helmet. And remember, we can hold our head high on the battlefield, knowing that we are protected against the crashing blows of doubt and discouragement by the enemy. The modern weapon of choice for most is the handgun. But every soldier knows and every officer knows that a handgun without bullets is useless unless you want to throw it at somebody. What are What good are guns without bullets? And what good is prayer or the armor without prayer? Because you see, prayer becomes a type and a picture for the believer of the ammunition of the believer. Prayer is our ammunition of warfare, unlike the battles that are taking place in Afghanistan and Iraq We don't ever have to worry about running out of ammunition. We have a constant supply. We can go to God at all times and for all things. Prayer is more than ammunition. It is firing the winning shot. It is the decisive shot in the battle. Prayer is both our supply line and our link with heavenly headquarters. Both our orders and our supplies. Come through prayer. The Bible says that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman avails much. And without fervent, effectual prayer, we can't fight effectively. We can't preach persuasively. We can't communicate convincingly. We will find it difficult to minister peace or love or grace apart from persistent Prevailing prayer without prayer, it's like hitting the battlefield with all of the sophisticated body armor, with all of the modern weaponry, but no ammunition. And so Paul says, stay strong in prayer, be bold, encourage, cultivate closeness with faithful friends Let love for Jesus abound. Look at verse 18 again, the believer's prayer. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. In verse 18, Paul lays out what I call the four alls of prayer. The Christian begins and ends the fight on his or her knees. The battle begins in prayer. The battle ends in prayer. And what are the four things? Look at number one. We pray at all times. That means we pray on a regular and a consistent basis. And number two, with all prayer and supplication or requests, that means that our prayers are both general And specific, the the expression supplication in the New Testament means request. It it can mean making a request for others. It can mean making a request for yourself. And number three, with all perseverance, because good soldiers stay alert, the soldier doesn't fall asleep on duty and the soldier never, no, never, no, never gives up the mission. So we pray at all times with all prayer and supplication and request and perseverance. And finally, with all supplication, it says, for all the saints. The idea being, since God's people and what we've already learned, that both Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ, we being one, are one body, we're joined and we're fitted together. Since God's people are united into one new society, the church. We are one body and there should be an emphasis made on praying for one another. Edward Payson said, prayer is the first thing. Prayer is the second thing. Prayer is the third thing necessary to minister. Pray, therefore, my dear brothers, pray, pray, pray. Payson says three things. The first thing, second thing, third thing. Paul says prayer is four things. I suspect Paul continues with the theme of the believer's spiritual armor. And if that's the case, then prayer becomes number seven on our list for the Christian in complete armor. Seven, of course, is the number of perfection or, or completion. Prayer makes our arsenal complete. We pray at all times. What does that mean? It means there is a constant, continual, regular, consistent prayer. It certainly doesn't mean vain or repetitious prayer. Some of you may have grown up in a religious tradition like I did. That you thought that if you prayed something over and over and over and over and over again, that that would make it more efficacious. But the Bible says exactly the opposite. It certainly says pray at all times, but it says avoid vain repetition. So when it says pray at all times, the idea can also mean pray on all occasions. The idea being, when is it the best time to pray? And the Bible's answer is the best time to pray is always and everywhere at all times in Acts chapter one verse fourteen, after Jesus has died and risen from the dead, it says that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Biblical proof that you can pray in a Honda car with one accord. I'm just teasing, just joking. Paul told the the Thessalonians in chapter one or in 1 Thessalonians chapter five verse seventeen to pray. Continually. Abraham Lincoln liked to tell the story about two Quakers and their discussion about Lincoln and Jefferson Davis, the president of the South. He said, I think Mr. Jefferson will win this war, said the first one. Why doth thee think so? Because Jefferson is a praying man. And so is Abraham a praying man. That's true, answered the first man. But the Lord will think that Abraham is joking. What does that mean? Could it be because of the way the president looked or the way the president acted or the way the president joked? But here is the idea. Life has room for joking. But prayer is serious business. And you have to cultivate a serious attitude towards prayer. Christians are to exert some strain and exercise some discipline. This may come as a shock or a surprise to some of you, but prayer was not meant to be easy. It was meant to be difficult. It was meant to be something that you did and that you did consistently and that you did with some measure of discipline. This doesn't mean that prayer should be a big, fat, stinking, painful problem, but it does mean that prayer becomes constant conversation, an uninterrupted stream, not simply of words, but a posture or an attitude of the heart. Thomas Kelly says in his Testament of Devotion, quote, there's a way of ordering our mental life on more than just one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, we can be discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs, but deep inside, deep within, behind the scenes at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, a gentle receptivity to divine breathing. We pray. We petition. This means all kinds of prayers in my office. I used to have a, a, something posted and I, I've since put it in my Bible. It, it, it means you start with number one, meditation and number two, confession and number three, adoration and number four, submission and number five, petition. As you're going through prayer, you meditate, confess, adore, submit and then make requests General Eisenhower said prayer gives you the courage to make the decisions you must make in crisis and then confidence to leave the result to a higher power. He doesn't mean the higher power of AA. he doesn't mean a doorknob. He doesn't mean some invisible spirit. He means the real God of the real Bible. And then we pray with all perseverance. That's persistent prayer. Perseverance means you don't give up. I know that sometimes you're tempted to give up. Some of you have been praying for people for years. I think of the story of George Mueller, who was famous for establishing orphanages throughout England. And and he would pray and he would pray constantly. And there were two particular unsaved people in his life that he prayed for every day for 40 years. The week before his death, one of those men received Christ as their savior. The week after his funeral, the second man that he had prayed for received Christ as his savior. Who are you praying for? Is it your mom? Is it your dad? Is it your brothers or your sisters? Is there someone in your life who seems to be hopelessly lost? I got to tell you something. Your prayers matter. I suspect without men and women praying for me, who knows if God would have opened the door for me to hear and be able to respond to the gospel. Jesus encouraged us to be persistent in our prayers. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says... Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Jesus uses very strong language in Matthew chapter 7 to communicate the fact that prayer begins and then continues with frequency and intensity. In the original language, it seems to be indicating keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And ask implies that we know And are aware of a need. People ask when they are in need. The word ask suggests humility. Because the person who who has not is asking the person who has. And seek involves both asking. But then it adds asking. It adds action to the request. We don't just ask for help. But now we get up and we look for someone. We look for something that can help us. And that's the idea of prayer. We get up and we ask God. And that takes effort. And the final step, knock, includes both asking and looking, but also insists on persevering and prevailing. The picture is the picture of a person who gets up, knocks, keeps on knocking until they get an answer. Today, I think of a person who calls on their cell phone or or their iPhone and you don't want to answer their call and you let it go to voicemail and then you delete the voicemail and finally you turn off your phone. But you're too cheap to change the phone and change the number. And so finally, finally, because you can't take it anymore, you finally answer the call. Is that a picture of God? I don't think so. You may be reluctant to respond to calls, but the Bible makes it abundantly clear that God is not reluctant. Prayer is not trying to take hold of God's reluctance. The famous Englishman William Gladstone told of a little neighbor girl who really believed in the power of prayer. Her brother had made a trap in order to catch sparrows, and she prayed that the trap would fail. And for three days, her face was radiant when she prayed her absolute prayer and her absolute faith in the futility of the trap. And it was so noticeable that the mother asked, Julia, how could you be so positive? And she smiled because, dear mama, I went out three days ago and I kicked the trap to pieces. Well. Well. There is a point to the illustration. Prayer is like that. Pray like it all depends on God. And then do something like it all depends on you. Do you need to persist in prayer? Remember that we're in a battle. And the person who perseveres in prayer will receive answers from God. This morning when I was in my quiet time and I was Praying, I came to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. God wants to answer you. He's listening. And He wants to answer you. And He wants to show you the direction that you can go in your life. And so, we pray. With all supplication for all the saints. Most Christians pray sometime most Christians pray for some people most Christians pray with some perseverance. But Paul says pray and pray for all the saints, not just the Christians in your family, not just for the Christians in your group, not just for the Christians in your church, not just for the Christians in your denomination, but all of your brothers and all of your sisters all over the world. About five, six, seven years ago, we had a guy in our church named Frank Minkle, and he was a prayer warrior. He would pray faithfully. He would come to church and he would pray faithfully. And as he would begin to pray faithfully, he would talk to me about a radio program. And I'd say, Frank, I don't want to do a radio program. No, God wants you on the radio. I don't want to be on the radio. No, no, you have a gift. God wants to use you. God wants to use this gift. And I suspect Frank Minkle literally prayed our radio ministry into existence. He turned me on to this personal prayer diary. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's it's put out by YWAM and YWAM stands for youth without any money. It doesn't really stand for that. It it means youth with a mission. And what I love about this is it divvies up my own prayer on Sundays. We pray for the church. We, we pray for ministry on Monday, the family and the home, Tuesday, media, Wednesday, government, Thursday, education, Friday, business and commerce, Saturday, the arts and the entertainment. But as you go through this particular guide, you begin to pray for and address people groups all over the planet Earth. As a matter of fact, if you just even go to today, it says Pray that Jesus will show you his heart for Indian marriages. These are arranged marriages in India. As you go, as you go on, it says pray for women facing government sponsored discrimination in Morocco. Pray for the women um, facing discrimination in Jordan. As you go back, pray for South Africa. Pray for for. Tsunami victims in Thailand pray for Kenya's famine pray for Bangladesh pray for the Venezuelan people who were affected by landslides in 1999 pray for the Central Americans left homeless by Hurricane Mitch pray for the debt repayment of countries affected by natural disasters and now all of a sudden your mind opens to a bigger broader world that is out there. That's what it means. All Christians everywhere. All Christians everywhere, mature and and immature. No one ever outgrows the need for prayer. No one ever becomes immune from Satan's fiery darts. And so we, we unite and we protect each other. There are many things that are worthy of our prayers. But Paul makes sure that a great deal of our prayer, listen carefully, should be devoted to one another. That's the idea. How do we pray? We pray definitely. We pray specifically. We pray consistently. And by the way, behind every great move of God, behind every great outpouring of his Holy Spirit are men and women who pray, who pray daily and and who pray definitely. When Hudson Taylor was in China and he was pouring out his heart and, and his soul and his ministry, he came back to England and he met with a person and he began to talk about all that God was doing. And he met a person and he began talking about these people and this person said, I know all about them. He goes, how do you know? He goes, because I pray for them every day. By the way, when you pray for someone every day, your heart becomes knit to that person. That's the idea. Don't forget to stay alert and to stay awake behind. Every great move of God, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that when men and women pray, if you find yourself in a dark place, if you find yourself in a dry place, if you find yourself in a distant place, if you find yourself in a discouraging place, if you're fed up with the men's ministry, with the women's ministry, with with the children's ministry, with the student ministries, with all of this, whatever is happening in your life, maybe it's because it's time for you to begin to pray. And to make a difference. And like I said, he says, pray and don't forget to stay awake and don't forget to stay alert. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress Christian, it says, Perceive the mouth of hell. And I quote hard by the wayside in the valley of the shadow of death. Christian saw flame and smoke and heard hideous noises that he was forced to put up his sword and betake himself another weapon called all prayer so he cried in my hearing O oh Lord I beseech thee deliver my soul it reminds me that we are sometimes To put down our Bible, that doesn't mean that we don't pray the scriptures or that we don't pray and pray in faith, but we put down for a moment one weapon in order to pick up the other weapon. And of course, it's certainly not wrong for you to pray with both weapons in both hands. Jesus said, Watch. He said watch because of his imminent return, but he also said watch because of the onset of temptation. You'll remember that when the disciples and the apostles failed to watch, it led to the results in the Garden of Gethsemane, some disloyalty on the part of some, some cowardice on the the part of the others. When are you most likely to stumble? When are you most likely to fall? When are you most likely to trip up? It's fatigue. Fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Sometimes we need to stop and we need to pray and we need to watch. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? We certainly need the Holy Spirit's help to know how to pray. Pray. To even impart strength so that we can continue to pray. I know that there have been times in your life when you go, God, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to pray. I know, I have no idea how to go forward with this. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise, the spirit speaking of the Holy Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we at what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. You don't know, but the Holy Spirit does know. And it's okay for you to concede to the Holy Spirit, Lord. You pray, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me. We see the believers pray, but now we see the believers preach. Look at verse 19. It says, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Whenever you pray. You're expressing dependence upon God. The moment you open your mouth and you say, Lord, you're acknowledging that you can't. And that he can. But look what it says. Pray. And Paul says in verse 19. And pray for me. Paul. The Apostle Paul. Mighty Paul. Gifted Paul. Needed prayer and for me. Paul asks the saints in Ephesus for prayer, for safekeeping, for encouragement, but most of all, most of all, for the opportunity to preach the gospel with words. Remember where he is. He's in a Roman prison. Remember where else he is. He's chained to a Roman guard. And you'll note what he doesn't pray. He doesn't say, It's been such a long time since I've had a falafel. You don't know how I've been jonesing in the worst way for some good home cooking from Jerusalem. You know what? He doesn't ask for himself. Often when we say pray for me, it's a vague religious request, isn't it? Hey, will you pray for me? But Paul is going to attach something very specific. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. When you pray, do you ask for specific prayer? Pray for me. Pray for our church. Pray for my wife. Pray for my family. Pray for the invitations that God is is extending to us. Paul is making requests for spiritual reinforcements. Wisdom knows where personal strength begins and ends. And Paul is wise enough and humble enough to know that he can't make it without the prayerful support of brothers and sisters. Are you praying for each other? What are you waiting for? Is it an invitation? Then extend the invitation. Maybe before you leave... The person sitting next to you or the person sitting behind you or the person sitting around you, you might want to say, hey, could you could you pray for me? There's some specific things. Paul's request is interesting. Interesting. He doesn't pray for strength to bear his chains, but boldness to preach the gospel. I find that amazing. We live in a world that is hostile to the gospel. And just because he's in prison doesn't mean he's left the battlefield. Yes, Paul's missionary adventures are put on temporary hold in a Roman prison. But each shift, there's a new guard that's coming in. Can you imagine guarding Paul the Apostle? You come in, the soldier's next to him, and the soldier makes the mistake. He says to Paul, what are you in for? And then the story is told. I suspect by the end of the first week and then the first month of Paul's imprisonment, every guard who came out just went, don't ask him anything. You thought... I give long sermons. Can you imagine being chained next to this guy? (laughs) I suspect others possibly heard Paul preach even while he was in prison. You know, there seems to be some indication that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and he wrote the book of Colossians and he wrote the book of Philemon and that he's under house arrest. And as he's under house arrest, men would come in entourages would come in he would preach the gospel the little Book of Philemon seems to indicate there was a runaway slave named Onesimus and he stole something from his master and he went into Rome in order to escape the crowds and in order to escape detection. And somehow he finds himself in a place where he's hearing Paul preach the gospel. He opens his heart to the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. He receives Christ as his savior. And now Paul's going to send Philemon a note. With Onesimus and with Tychicus, who's written this note. He prays for utterance. That utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly. Look what it says in verse 20. For which I am am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul isn't content to communicate the gospel with just simply his life. He wants to use words. He wants to tell people the story of Jesus. But what a description of the war. He calls himself an ambassador in chains. This is amazing because it's the visible evidence of the invisible war that's been waging all around him. And I think there's something else. Does it seem hard for you to believe that the Apostle Paul would ask? The Ephesians to pray for him for boldness. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? Getting a lump in his throat. As the next soldier is chained to him. And he asks for courage and boldness to share Christ. One more time. Mighty Paul. Impressive Paul. Able to write 13 letters in a single bound. I think that this is interesting. Because if you thought that he was impervious to pain and impervious to sorrow and impervious to discouragement, then you've probably been wrong. And if you think that way about your leaders, about the pastor, about the staff. About your ministry leader. Why he's here every Sunday. and He opens the Bible every Sunday and he prays and and he ministers and 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 he encourages. And I've never seen him afraid of one single thing. You don't understand. My circumstances are difficult. You don't understand. I've been praying for my mother. I've been praying for my father. I've been praying for my brother. I've been praying for my sister. You don't understand the difficult circumstances. You don't understand the physical limitations. You don't understand the mental, emotional and spiritual distress that I happen to be under. But guess what? Who's under more distress than Paul? He is in prison and he is chained to a soldier But he wants to open his mouth. He's asking for freedom. Freedom in jail. Freedom not to be released from jail, but to be released from fear that he doesn't have the courage to share Christ. It's interesting, too. That in it I may speak boldly. Look what it says. As I ought to speak. The expression is very interesting in the original language. In the in the Greek language, the word that's linked to the idea of speaking boldly is an idea that was linked to the concept of freedom of speech. Most of you know our Constitution guarantees freedom of spree- speech. The right to speak. Your kids want to use it with you. As soon as they understand the the concept, I'm an American, I can say what I want. Oh, you just think you can. If you want to exercise the better part of wisdom, now might be a good time to keep your mouth shut. There's a reason why police officers say, you have the right to remain silent. And I suggest you exercise that right. But Paul wants to speak boldly. And by the way, the idea... In the Greek culture, in the Roman culture, Greek citizens were given a similar freedom of speech. The word meant outspokenness and boldness and fearlessness, but it meant more than that. It was an outspokenness or a boldness or a fearlessness in the presence of people who happened to be in high rank. It's boldness. To talk to your mother and father, it's boldness to talk to your teacher, it's boldness to talk to your boss, it's boldness to talk to the mayor, it's boldness to talk to the governor, it's boldness to talk to the president of the United States. When we were doing the Columbine Memorial and I was with a a former famous president. I said to this former famous president, I said, oh, Mr. President, you and I have some mutual friends and he said, oh, who, who, who are who are our mutual friends? And I said, well, Franklin Graham, who's the director of Samaritan's Purse and Lee Strobel, he's written several wonderful books, including The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ. And the president said, they are my friends. And then I prayed, Lord, what should I say to this man? I asked him about his life and I asked him how things were going. I asked him about his trips. And he indicated how much fun he has going around the world, raising money for worthy causes. And I said, Mr. President, I prayed for you when you had your heart attack. And I'm glad to see that you're still alive. Oh, thank you. The reason why I'm saying that, Mr. President, is because I believe that God has unfinished business with you. There are certain things that I think that God wants to say to you and speak to you. There's certain unfinished and unresolved issues. You see God isn't finished with you quite yet. So I hope you stay open and you listen to what he has to say and that you're willing to respond to what he says. Part of what Paul is saying is he wants to speak boldly and he calls the good news a mystery and the reason why Paul calls the good news of the Gospel a mystery isn 't because it 's a who done it," and we haven 't got it all figured out, but rather it 's called a mystery because it was given by the Holy Spirit. It is the story of Jesus given by the Holy Spirit to the apostles. It is the story of Jesus given to Paul, given to Peter, given to James, given to John. It is a story that is given to these men about the reality that God loves you and that he's willing to forgive your sin and give you eternal life. And so when he says I, that I may speak boldly and as I ought to speak, it refers to the clarity and the completeness of the speech. Paul doesn't want to muddy the waters or compromise the gospel. That's his point. He wants to tell the truth and he wants to speak the truth in such a way that it can be clearly understood and clearly embraced. We say to say the right word at the same time in the Old Testament, there's this figure of speech. It says that your speech is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It isn't just what you say. It's how you say it. You say it with clarity and boldness. And that, my friends, is preaching at its best. So Paul refers to himself as an ambassador in chains earlier in the letter. Paul calls himself a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. That's what it says in chapter three, verse one. He says, and a prisoner of the Lord. That's what it says in chapter four, verse one. So why is Paul in prison? He lists three reasons. He says, it's the Lord. It's the Gentiles. It's the gospel over and over again in the New Testament. Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's in jail because of the Lord. He's in jail because of the Gentiles. He's in jail because of the gospel. But these three reasons are really only one reason. Jesus Christ, the Lord, caused Paul to preach the gospel. And the gospel was to the Gentiles. Here's his message. His message is, guess what? Sinners don't have to be estranged from God. Jews and Gentiles don't need to be estranged from one another. God has sent Christ to be the burden bearer and the sin bearer of the entire planet Earth. He was faithful to the gospel itself. He was faithful to the Lord who revealed it to him. He was faithful to the Gentiles who he was given the charge to preach the gospel. But when he did it, those three things cost him his freedom. And it might just cost you your freedom if you do exactly what God wants you to do. When you fulfill the gift and the calling that God has placed on your life. There might be those who don't understand or believe it or receive it. The believers prayer. The believers preach and look at the believers peace in verse 21. But that you may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. We don't know much about Paul's friend, Tychicus. He may be Paul's secretary writing the letter that we're reading. We know that he's a faithful friend. Paul calls him a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. The idea being he is a faithful servant. He's loved by Paul. He's loved by the church. This is the origin of the expression soul brother. This is a person who shares your mind and shares your heart and shares your outlook. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend who's with you in times of unbelief and belief? Do you have someone who's with you in pain and pleasure? Tychicus is that kind of a guy. I have a friend like that. His name's Skip Heitzig. We were unbelievers together. We received Christ close to the same time. We've walked in ministry for more than 30 years. And there have been great times of ministry. And there have been difficult times in ministry. Tychicus is entrusted with this letter. And by the way, none of us would be here at least reading this letter and having this Bible study if it weren't for Tychicus. Because Tychicus takes this letter. And he's the one who delivers it to the Ephesians. Can you imagine if he wasn't faithful in that duty? None of us would have the book of Ephesians. Or Philippians or Colossians or Philemon. We're not aware of any correspondence. We're not aware of any sermon that he ever preached. Paul was a great man. But like most great men, he was surrounded by faithful brothers and sisters who served. It's been my great privilege to know many great men and women. You know what all of them have in common? All of them, without exception, surround themselves with faithful men and women who serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the expression for the loss of a nail, lose a horseshoe for the loss of a horseshoe, lose a horse for the loss of a horse, lose a soldier for the loss of a soldier, lose a battle for the loss of a battle, lose a kingdom? That tiny nail, that tiny horseshoe, that one horse, that one rider might make all of the difference in the kingdom of God. That's why it's important for every man and every woman to fulfill their destiny. To fulfill their ministry. And look what it says in verse 22, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs And that he may comfort your hearts. Paul lists another reason for sending Tychicus to comfort them, to encourage them. You know what he doesn't say? I'll email you. I'll, I'll shoot you a text. Now don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to email and it's not wrong to shoot a text. But there's something personal and there's something relational and there's something familiar. We are designed to live in community. We are designed to encourage one another. We are designed to comfort one another. We are designed to love and be loved. You might be thinking, I'm I'm on my own. I'm the Lone Ranger. Well, even the Lone Ranger had Ponto. If the Lone Ranger is the ultimate expression of, I'm alone. No man is an island. And look what it says in verse 23. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul earlier wrote, he's our peace who has broken down every wall in chapter four, verse two. Jesus has created a single new humanity, peace is the supernatural fruit of reconciliation. But remember, Jesus loved us. He died for us. And we're to love each other. Peace is possible only if you have a right relationship with God and with each other. But you know where you can't get peace? From Satan. Or from sin. Let me just remind you of something. You will never, no, never, no, never, never, Be able to negotiate a lasting peace with Satan. You will never. No, never. No, never be able to negotiate a lasting peace with sin. And so look what it says in verse 24. Grace. Be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. In sincerity. Amen. Now, Paul prays for grace to all who love the Lord Jesus. Note what he says in sincerity. I think there's a reason why he writes that little note, because there were those who didn't love the Lord in sincerity. It's possible to bring your little papyri to Bible study. It's possible to have a big smile on your face. It's possible to have all of the external accoutrements that look like right relationship and right friendship. Another translation reads, grace to all who love Jesus with an undying love. I like that. The text itself in the original language, the Greek construction says, grace to all who love Jesus. In in incorruption. Let me tell you what I think that means. He's talking about the kind of love that never dies. It's. Not the kind of love that will ever go bad or will ever become diseased or corrupted or decayed. Grace is love's companion. Grace and love produce an immortal outlook of hope. This is the love that's never exhausted. It's never consumed. Add love to faith, the Bible says, over and over in the the book of Ephesians. We're commanded and reminded, love the Lord. In love, he predestined us. He made us alive in Christ. Being rooted and grounded in love over and over again in chapter three, verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. The March 1978 Reader's Digest carried this story from a Sunday school teacher. It said, quote, for St. Patrick's Day, I asked a five-year-old in my Sunday school class to bring something green that you love. The next Sunday, they brought the usual green hats, green sweaters, green books. But one boy entered with a very big smile. Behind him, wearing a green dress, came his four-year-old little sister. He brought her because he loved her. That's what it's talking about. We love Jesus. Bring Jesus with you. Don't just bring Jesus when you come to church. Take Jesus with you. Take him home. Take him to work. Take him with your family. We love Jesus. Paul began the letter by wishing grace and peace to the reader. And he ends it with grace and peace. I like that because no two words can better summarize this letter with greater power. Grace is both the means and the reason God saves sinners through Jesus, and peace is the result of that salvation. Remember what we've learned Jesus would never send us into a fight without the equipment, without the ammunition that we need to survive. We can't fight our battle without our armor. We can't exercise the armor without the ammunition. We can't experience peace without grace. And we can't experience grace without Jesus. No wonder Paul ends his love letter with grace. We've reached the end of the letter, but not the end of its importance or the end of its impact. Paul says, stay strong. You stay strong in prayer. You stay bold. Encourage. You stay close to each other and faithful friends. And stay close to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do pray. That we would avail ourselves. Not just of the armor. But of the ammunition. Lord, we trust that you're the author and the finisher of our faith. You're the beginning and you're the end. And Lord, I pray for that person who finds themselves in a dark and lonely circumstance. Lord, I pray that you would extend the invitation to them, the mystery of faith, how in Jesus there's forgiveness of sin, how in Jesus there's grace, how in Jesus there's mercy, how in Jesus we can have a right relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they would embrace that invitation. Confessing sin. Trusting Jesus. And so again, Lord, help us, help us, help us to take Jesus with us sincerely. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.